Yeah, as Ryan said, I uh, I just got back uh, late Friday night. Um, if 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 I start yawning, it's not because I think I'm boring or anything. It's uh, it's probably because it's like coming up on my bedtime or something like that. So, but anyways, but while I was over there, um, yeah, I kind of stayed up with some of the news that was going on back here, and uh, and I understand that the Packers had another heartbreaking loss, the Seattle Seahawks on on Thursday night, and. And and when you hear stuff like that, you you might be tempted to like lose hope, right? <laughs> um, some of you some of you might have looked at the the results of the election, and you're like discouraged, and you might lose hope, you know. On uh, a more uh, real topic, you know, there's a gal in our small group that we're a part of in West Bend. And she's a young mom, just about 40 years old, and she's dealing with stage three breast cancer. And uh, and when 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 you're dealing with that, I mean, that's when when things don't go your way, right? That's like that's really easy to to lose hope. Last week up in West Bend, we had two friends of mine, uh, Mike and John Shabo, uh, lead worship. The Shabo brothers are Syrians. They're over here. They're literally refugees uh, because uh, their hometown of Aleppo is just being shelled on belief. And so they're over here in the United States living in Milwaukee, and their parents, their father is still working as a pastor over there in Aleppo, and they're just watching on prime time as the city that they grew up in just get destroyed. That's when... That's when things don't go your way, right? That's when it's easy to lose hope. But this thing that we think of like, oh, hope, is, it's, it's this ethereal concept, right? It's like, what, do you, what are we actually hoping in? Are we, are we hoping in that, that, that things will be better tomorrow? Or, or do, when we hope, do we hope that like, our, the next generation, our kids, will, will be able to have it better than we have it? I think if we are placing our hope in those kinds of things, we're going to be disappointed because things oftentimes are just not going to go our way. But as we, as we finish up this kind of you know, four-week series that we've been looking at, God's heart for the nations, the things that I want us to, to take away today is that we are not to put our hope in our circumstances or in our situations, but in God's plan for the entire world. And, and the main big idea of... of the message today, if you're going to take away anything today, you remember this. When things aren't going your way, they are still going God's way. Okay? So, can you say it, with, say it with me? I'll, I'll say the first part, and you say the second part. When things aren't going your way, they're still going God's way. That's right. When things, when things aren't going your way, they're still going God's way. And that's what we put our hope in. Like, like if you look at the opening chapters of the Bible, you have this amazing, amazing paradise, this beautiful spot. You have this perfect relationship that mankind has with each other and with God and with creation. And you're like, this is an amazing, amazing, beautiful story. But then you get to Genesis chapter 3, and they make this destructive, terrible decision to rebel against God. And they think, we know, we know things better. We know, we know what's best for us. And they rebel against God, and the whole thing begins to crumble. And, and in the next, like, you know, seven chapters, you just see things get worse and worse. Genesis chapter 4, you have the first murder. 
And then uh, by the time you get to like Genesis chapter 11, the, 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 the description of the human race is it says something like, every inclination of mankind's heart is only evil all the time. <laughs> Do you imagine that? How would you like that to be the description written on your tombstone? Right? You know, every inclination of mankind's heart was only evil all the time. And if, if you're reading a book at this time, if you're, if you're reading this story, you're, you're in Genesis chapter 11, you're like, oh my gosh, this is terrible. You're like biting your nails. You're like, how is God going to rectify this? this his, his creatures, his human beings that he created are rebelling against him. But when things aren't going your way, things are still going God's way. And in Genesis chapter 12, I'm going to uh, try to get these uh, PowerPoint slides up here. Genesis chapter 12. Do I, do I have control? No, I don't have control. Okay, well, in Genesis chapter 12. Okay, so I'm going to, do, I'm going to give a lot of audibles to the, to, the, uh, to the guys back on media today. Keep them on their toes. In Genesis chapter 12, God chooses this one man, Abraham. And he says, hey, listen, Abraham, out of all of you, he says, I, I want you to leave your country, your people, and your father's household. Go to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. Okay? I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. And I will bless those who bless you. And whoever curses you, I will curse. And all nations, okay, here's this word, all nations. Get out your highlighters, because this is a phrase that appears again and again and again in the Scriptures. All nations are going to be blessed through you. What do you call it when humanity... And your creations are only rebelling against you all the time. And all they do is violence to you and violence to your creation and violence to one another. And you say, you know what? I think I'm going to bless you. We, could call, we would call that crazy, you know. But what the Bible calls it is grace. God says, I'm going to respond to all of your violence with grace. And then so God then repeats this promise again. Next slide. To, uh, to uh, Okay, so out of all the nations, here's a phrase, out of all the nations, God chooses one nation to bless all the nations, okay? Out of all the nations in the world, there are like 70 of them at the time, God chooses one nation, the nation of Abraham that he's yet to create, to bless all the nations. Next slide. God repeats these promises to Isaac and to Jacob. He says, I will make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and through your offspring all nations, there's that phrase again, all nations on the earth will be blessed. In Genesis 28, he says that to Jacob, Abraham's grandson, your descendants will be like the dust of the earth and all peoples, all peoples again. It's not the, just this idea of nation states, like countries that we think of, but every single ethnicity, every single ethnic group. We call these people, these things people groups. Every single people group in the world is going to be blessed through you and your offspring. Okay, so you're like, great, okay, that's this great promise. Jacob uh, has his name changed to Israel, and Israel, you know, becomes this big family. They eventually move down into Egypt uh, because of a famine, and they become this, this big nation down there. But they are, at that point, enslaved by the Egyptians for 400 years. Now, if you were an Israelite living at any point in time during these 400 years, you would be like, what? Things are not going my way. When you're a slave, things are not going your way, right? <laughs> okay? And so you would be like, what is going on? Are God's promises failing? I mean, 
what is what is happening here? We're supposed to be we're supposed to be this blessing to the whole world, and here we are, slaves. But when things aren't going your way, what happens? They're still going God's way. They're still going God's way. And next slide. So God then announces to uh, the Israelites, to Moses, I will free you from being slaves to them, and I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with mightiest acts of judgment. I will take you as my own people. I'm going to make you to be my own people. He's going to fulfill his promises, and I will be your God. Then you will know that I'm the Lord your God who brought you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. And I will bring you to the land that I swore with uplifted hand to give to Abraham. Here he is. He's, respond, he's referring back to this promise that he made in Genesis chapter 12. Then the next one, in Genesis chapter 19, so God miraculously, powerfully redeems the Israelites out of Egypt. He takes them out of there. You know, you've seen the movie, right? You know, Prince of Egypt and stuff like that. And uh, So he rescues them out of there. And then he takes them to the other side of, of the Red Sea, and he has this adoption ceremony for them. He adopts them as his people. And he says, out of all the nations in the world, although all the nations are mine, you for me are going to be a special nation. So he says, you yourselves have seen what I did to Egypt and how I carried you on eagle's wings and brought you to myself. Now if you obey me fully and keep my covenant, then out of all the nations you will be my treasured possession. Although the whole earth is mine, you will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. Now, he says to Israelite, Israelites, he says you're going to be a kingdom of priests. Can anyone tell me what, a, what does a priest do? In any religion, doesn't it have to be Christianity or anything else? What, is, what does a priest do in any religion? Leads? Okay, good, good idea. Anyone else? Intermediates between God and man. So, yeah, that's right. In any relationship, any, any religion, you have like the God or the gods over here. You have like the, the people over here, and the priests are like the in-between people. They stand in between, and they represent the God to the people. And he says that you are going to be, for me, a kingdom of priests. So if they're the priests, Yahweh, their God, is over here. Who are they representing God to? The nations. All the other nations. He says, you're going to represent me to all the nations. This is their calling. This is their, this is their invitation. This is their purpose, was to represent God to the nations. Next slide. Now, they did this well. God brought them into the land that he promised them, and and he set up a kingdom. And David, their king, when he was on his best day, he did this well. He wrote some of these great psalms in in the Bible that we have. He says, may God be gracious to us and bless us and cause his face to shine upon us. Okay, we like this one. This is all about who? Us, right? But what's the next part of this phrase? Look at the next slide. That your ways may be known on the earth, your salvation among all the nations. Okay? That was why Israel was here. David got it. He says, this is why we're here. Not only that God is blessing us, but we're blessed to be a blessing. We're blessed to be a blessing, to to pass it on. That your ways may be known on all the earth. Next slide. How many of you guys have, have seen this before? Psalm 4610. Be still and know that I am God. Okay? Now, if you haven't seen this before... All you have to do is go to Hobby Lobby. Okay? You'll see this on all sorts of signs. Now, it says, be still and know that I am God. And then what do you have right here? Dot, dot, dot. Okay? What does that mean? 
There's more. There's more to come. Okay, I was a marketing major in, at Madison. Okay, so I know that dot, dot, dot means they left something out. Okay? That must, and, and you go on to the next slide. You can see this all over the place. Okay, here you got mountains. Be still. Okay, and know that I'm God. Next one. Oh, here you got a park bench. Okay, isn't that nice? Be still and know that I'm God. Oh, here they didn't have the dot, dot, dot. They got the exclamation point right there, okay? This is the only part of the verse we see, but there's this whole other part. It must be a terrible second half of the verse, because otherwise they wouldn't keep it out all the time. It must be like, be still and know that I'm God, and I will give the bodies of your enemies to the birds of the earth. And the music, so something like that, you know? It's like, but here, let's put the verse up there. He says, be still and know that I'm God. Does anyone know what the rest of the verse says? Anyone know? Put it up there. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. See, we like this part because it's all about us. But we forget about this part, that this is what we're supposed to be about. I will be exalted among all the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. Now, I'm running out of time, so I've got to get cut to the chase. Okay? Israel, Israel is doing really good when they, when they get this. But you know what happens is they end up rebelling against God. They end up in rebelling against God, and God does what he always said he would do. He says, if you persist in rebelling against me, I'm going to have you taken away to the other nations. And that's exactly what happens. After David uh, is done being king, his son Solomon becomes king. Solomon's heart is torn after other gods. He marries all these foreign wives, and, and all the other kings after him, most of the other kings after him, just start leading Israel away from the Lord, all, all the way to the point where they have civil war. There's a northern kingdom and a southern kingdom. The northern kingdom has a bunch of bad kings. They get taken away by their enemies. The southern kingdom uh, eventually gets taken away by Babylon. Babylon comes in. They lay siege to the city, and they totally destroy the temple of God, okay? The temple where God's spirit dwelled and Israel worshiped and stuff like that. Now, if you're in Israel at this time, you're like, Things aren't going my way. But when things aren't going your way, what happened? Things are still going God's way. God is up to something more than that. And one of the, uh, some of the Israelites that got taken away into captivity is this kid named Daniel. Any of you guys ever hear of Daniel before? Okay. Daniel is taken away as a captive to be trained in the Babylonians' ways. And he's there serving Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, okay? He's one of kind of, he's kind of like this high-round draft pick. They took kind of the royalty from Israel, and they took him, took him away, and they said, we're going to make you good Babylonians. You're going to serve the king. And so he's serving the king. While he's serving the king, the king Nebuchadnezzar has this dream. He has this terrible, frightening nightmare. And he calls his magicians and all of his astrologers together, and he says, this is what I want you to do. He says, I want you to tell me what my dream is, and then I want you to interpret it. And all the astrologers say to him, they say, that sounds great, king. Tell us what the, your dream was, and we'll interpret it for you. And he says, no, no, this is what I want you to do. I want you, you to tell me what my dream is, and then you're going to interpret it for me. And they're like, fine, tell us what your dream is, and then we'll interpret it for you. And he says, that's not how I'm going to roll today, okay? I want you to tell me my dream, and then I want you to interpret it for me. And they're like, there's not a person alive who can do that. And he gets really mad, and he says, listen, if you don't do this for me, I'm going to kill all of you, okay? So now they, there's a panic, 
And in the panic, they go up. The message gets to Daniel, and he says, "He says we're all we're all dead meat. Basically, the king's going to kill us all." And Daniel says, "Well, why is this?" And they tell him the whole story. And he says, "Listen, maybe I can do something about it." And he prays, and he goes to Nebuchadnezzar, the king, and he says, and Nebuchadnezzar asks him, he says, "Daniel, can you tell me what my dream is, and can you interpret it for me?" And Daniel says, "No, but." There is a God in heaven who will do it for you. And Daniel then begins to tell Nebuchadnezzar his dream and gives him the interpretation. He says, King, you saw this huge statue. It had a head of gold. It had a chest of silver. It had thighs of bronze. It had had legs of iron and clay. Have you ever heard heard the phrase, he has feet of clay? Okay, you've heard that phrase? That comes from the book of Daniel. He has feet of clay. And he says, while you're looking at the statue, this rock, this like meteorite came out of the sky and pulverized the statue down to fine, fine dust. And then the rock grew into a mountain. Okay? That was your dream. And the king says, you're right. He says, this is the interpretation. He says, he says, he says king, he says, you are the head of gold. Then after you is going to come another kingdom. It's going to be like that chest of silver. And then another kingdom is going to come after that. It's going to be the, like legs of bronze. And then another kingdom is going to come and just take over that one. And that's going to be like the legs of steel and iron mixed with clay. And then during the time of that fourth kingdom, this rock is going to come down. It's going to be another kingdom that God is going to set up. And it's going to grow and become an eternal kingdom that will never, ever fail. And it will last eternally. Isn't that crazy? Isn't that crazy? And, and, and the king says, Daniel, that's great. You know? He says, and he saves him. And all the other astrologers are like, oh, thank God. You know? So anyway, so that is the interpretation of his dream. Now, what happens is that the Babylonians then get taken over by the Persians. The Persians then get taken over by the Greeks. The Greeks then get taken over by the Romans, those legs of, of clay and steel. And during that time, this young rabbi comes on the scene. And he says, repent for the kingdom is here. That kingdom that was going to come and destroy all the other kingdoms and last forever. Okay? Now, what happens is that rabbi, we know him as Jesus, right, is crucified. And if you're one of his followers at that time when you're seeing your rabbi being crucified, you're going, things are not going my way, right? But when things aren't going your way, what's happening? Things are still going God's way. Things are still going God's way. And we know that God raises Jesus to life, and Jesus comes back in all of his resurrection glory. And you know what he says to his disciples? He says, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore, I want you to go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And so he said, this is, this is what God is up to. Jesus is hearkening back all the way back to Genesis chapter 12. And God says, hey, listen, Abraham, from you is going to become someone who is going to bless all the nations. And Jesus is like, I'm the fulfillment of that. And now I'm calling you to be my representatives to go out and bless all the nations with the gospel of Jesus, the gospel of Jesus Christ, the good news. And that's what we're called to do. And we know that this 
cannot fail because when we look at the end of the book, if we go down to the very, can you skip to the end, the very last slide? Just skip uh, everything else. Genesis, or in Revelation chapter 7, John, Jesus' friend, his apostle, he, said, he has this great revelation. That's why the book is called Revelation, to be a revelation. I looked, and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count from every nation, tribe, people, and language standing before the throne and in front of the Lamb. This is the story that we get. This is the picture that we get at the end of the time, is that the fulfillment of Genesis chapter 12 comes true in every single nation gets to hear about the gospel of Jesus Christ. And when we step into the flow of that, we can't fail. It doesn't matter what happens to us. They can kill us, okay? But we're still on the winning team. We're still about what God is doing from the very beginning of time. So, when things aren't going your way, things are still going God's way. And so what I want to do is just show you a quick video that uh, kind of summarizes the state of the world and what is left to do. And then we'll kind of wrap things up after that. So do we have that video? Jesus told us 2,000 years ago that our mission is to go and make disciples of all nations. He also promised us that only after we accomplish that task will we receive the blessing of his return. So, how are we doing accomplishing our mission? To answer that, let's classify the 7 billion people on the earth today into three groups. Let's start with the Christians. About 33% of the world's population would identify itself as Christian. We call this segment of the population World C. C for Christian. It's important to remember that not all of the people that fall into World C are true believers in Christ. They merely identify themselves as Christian because of nominal belief in Jesus or because they live in a country where everyone is considered Christian, so they would do the same. Next, there's the 38% of the world that has access to the gospel but has chosen not to follow Jesus. They have Bibles in their language, churches nearby, friends or co-workers who are potentially Christians, or access to other Christian resources in their language. These people have access to the good news, but just haven't acted on it yet. This segment of the population is called World B. That leaves us with 29% of the world, just over one out of every four people on this planet who not only have never heard of Jesus, they have no chance of hearing the good news of Jesus Christ. They have no access to the gospel, no Bibles, no churches, no believers nearby, no chance to learn about Jesus. We call that 29% World A. Now on to missionaries. Only one out of every 1,800 Christians in World C decides to serve as a cross-cultural missionary. So, we can pull 400,000 missionaries out of that World C population. That's our total cross-cultural missionary force worldwide. Did you know that 72% of all our missionaries are going to World C? That's right. The vast majority of the missionaries being sent out are going to the people of the world that have Bibles and established churches. 25% of the missionaries are sent to World B, where there is already some access to the church and to the Bible. That leaves only 3% of the total missionary force to handle all of World A, the section of the population without any chance of hearing about Jesus. 29% of the world has no way to hear the gospel, but we're sending only a tiny portion of our Christian workers to them. What about finances? 
Annually, all those Christians in World C earn a total of $42 trillion. And together, they give about $700 billion to Christian causes each year. That includes everything. Christian nonprofits, churches, youth programs, missions, etc. Can you do the math? Less than 2% of Christian income is being given to Christ's causes. Out of that $700 billion given to all Christian causes, only $45 billion is given to missions specifically. That's a little over 6%. In fact, there is more money reported embezzled from the church each year than is given to missions. Remember those 400,000 missionaries? We have $45 billion to support them and their cross-cultural work. But how exactly is it allocated? Well, $39 billion goes to World C every year. Yep. 87% of that mission's money is being spent in areas of the world that have Bibles and churches available. $5.4 billion, or 12%, goes to World B each year, those that have access to the gospel message but have rejected it. That leaves only $450 million, or 1% of all mission's money, going to World A, the least reached people of the world. To put that into perspective, annually Americans spend more money on Halloween costumes for their pets than get sent to World A. To summarize, only 3% of our missionary force, armed with only 1% of missions giving, is going out to reach the 2 billion people who don't have access to the gospel. 2 billion people are still waiting for the good news of Jesus Christ. So here's a question for you. What are you going to do to change that? in that video and the the key takeaway is is not to buy Halloween costumes for your pets no no that's, that's not it as a church we're concerned with that third quadrant and Kurt and Kim are going to that part of the world where there there are no believers where no one's telling them about Jesus and that's where our mission dollars here at Kettlebrook want to primarily go to that world, you know, A, where there's no one there to tell them. And so um, this Christmas Eve, as Ryan said, we're going to take a Christmas Eve offering, and it's for Bible translation. So the Bible can be translated into languages in the North Caucasus for people who don't yet have the scriptures, the good news of Jesus Christ. We want you to know about that because, you know, in the past we've given to orphanages or to the outwaters working with kids in Colombia, and kids are tangible, and they're cute, and you pull at your heartstrings, but when you talk about Bible translation, you're like, huh? Like, like that doesn't pull my heartstrings, but it's still strategic, it's still important, because there are people who don't yet know about the good news of Jesus Christ. So, let me pray, and then Ryan's going to uh, lead us into a time of communion together. Father God, I pray for all of us here that we'd be reminded of the great, great truths that no matter what is happening in our world, in our lives, in our circumstances and situations, your purposes march forward. And they always have been and they always will be. And you are not going to quit until all nations have heard about your son, Jesus Christ. So, God, we pray that you'd encourage us with this. I pray that you'd encourage everyone here that when we step into the stream of what you are doing, it is going to be completed. 
And this world is going to be redeemed and restored, and the message of Jesus Christ will reach all the nations. We pray that you'd encourage us that today. We pray this all in Jesus' name.